Thanks for listening to another episode of The Idea Fountain. I'm Julie Pilot, and the best way for us to stay connected is if you sign up for The Idea Fountain newsletter. You can do so at juliepilot.co, J-U-L-I-E-P-I-L-A-T.co, or on the link in bio at Instagram, either at Julie Pilot or at The Idea Fountain. And today, I'm really excited to chat with Autumn Rowe. She's a Grammy Award-winning songwriter and Sona board member who has been in my circle for a minute, but we're celebrating her today because she wrote one of my favorite songs that came out about a decade ago that not many people knew, at least in America, until... It just went viral on TikTok. We took a minute to talk about the state of songwriting as a business, health, hustle, and of course, happiness. I-D-E-A-F-O-U-N-E-A-I-N. This is the Idea Fountain, life-changing conversations. So let's let's jump into it. I'm so thankful I have so many talented friends. This is, I think you are the third Grammy winning artist to be on the Idea Fountain. We had uh, Andrew Dose from Fun. Of course, they won Best New Artist of the Year a few years ago. Evan Bogart came on when we were talking about the Recording Academy. And now you, oh. who won this year hanging out with John Baptiste on stage. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to be here and finally um, hang out with you, really. So I know. Now that things are getting a little back to normal, we'll have to do it in real life, too. But uh, will you take it from the top? I want people to hear a little bit about your journey, because I think that especially with what's happening now is interesting and might help some people, maybe who are just starting or maybe ready to give up? Mm, yes, absolutely. Okay. How far back shall I go? <laughs> it's a long well, I guess maybe when you really settled on, I'm committed, this is going to be my career. I'm a musician. I'm a songwriter. This is what I'm doing. Okay. Um, so I, I started, so I, I kind of started getting into the music industry when I was 16. I was interning at Island Records and I was in four choirs at once uh, and performing, blah, 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 blah. That was 16. So it was a long, long journey till I was 28 where I placed my first record. So in that, in those long years, I was in a band, I was in a girl group, I was trying to get cuts. I was going to all kinds of listening sessions where you got to pay 25 bucks for a supervisor to hear a song, which I now realized was a scam. Um, I was doing all, I worked at Costco selling karaoke machines. I had at least, I don't know, 50 jobs in my life. Um, at Costco, (laughs) would you rock the mic to get people's attention selling karaoke machines? Absolutely. I was standing in the middle of Costco for hours singing into a karaoke machine uh, hoping people would buy them. Um, and, and okay. Now as a music nerd, what was the most successful karaoke song you would sing at Costco that would move units? Well, I'm all about delegation. So what I quickly learned was (laughs) 
that everywhere. So I would sing at dis different Costco's every day. So like I'd be assigned, this is in New York. So it'd be like, oh, Costco at Long Island and Costco in Jersey or whatever. Mind you, I wasn't driving. So this was like on the LIR R and like New Jersey transit. These were long ass commutes from the Bronx. But um, what I realized is that in every Costco is a Frank Sinatra fan. And you need to find that fan and he will do your job for you. So I would find <laughs> these like awesome kind of retired Frank Sinatra lovers who I become friends with. And I, I ended up like coordinating with them like, hey, I'm going to be back next Wednesday. They would show up and I'd let them have the stage and sing Frank Sinatra for a couple hours. These guys were having the time of their life. Okay. And <laughs> it was amazing. I was having time like because I was getting paid. Um, I was being paid $30 an hour, which is a lot of money for like a 22 year old. You know, this was a long time ago. This was actually 20 years ago. So for 20 years, almost 20 years ago. So like, uh, yeah, that was a lot of money. So it was the greatest job ever. I got the job on Craigslist. I never interviewed in person. My interview was to sing over the phone. And that was it. I don't that know. is one of the most <laughs> fascinating up and coming hustle jobs I've ever heard in my life. I love that so much. That's awesome. Oh, I could do it. I could do a podcast just about jobs. Yeah. <laughs> just about jobs I've had before uh, doing music full time. Like I've had so many jobs. It, it's unbelievable. So what was the moment that you said, I'm going to do music full time? What was the breaking point? Because I'm sure, well, if I were to guess at that point, you maybe still had to stretch and maybe you were a little bit stretched, like can't or stressed, like, can I actually stop the other things and hustle? Like what was, what was in the, I don't know, recipe or in the soup at that moment that you made it hardy enough to go for it so when i was around 27 or so i maybe i decided like i really need to do this for a living um i need to write songs i was an artist at the time but i was like i really want to write songs and um i was working at bloomingdale's then i left bloomingdale's and i was working at a shoe store called our souls and I basically worked there for a year and saved up a year of paid vacation so I could take a whole week off and said out loud, I'm going to write a song this week so I can quit my job. And that week I didn't go to work. All I did was focus on writing songs. And that was the week that I wrote a song called Happiness. And that song, after writing, it still took, you know, I don't know, a year and a half or more, I can't remember, to actually be released. But when it finally got to the ears of uh, Stargate and Tim and Danny, they recently signed this artist named Alexis Jordan, who they met, who they found on YouTube. And they had a JV with um, Rock, Rock Nation. And they started a label called Star Rock. And she was their first artist. So that song ended up becoming her first single and led to me, uh, doing a publishing deal with those guys and um, EMI. So that song was my first release in, 
which came out in 2010, which you have been a very big supporter of. We'll, we'll come back to the Alexis Jordan story in a moment, but I, I still want to hear a little bit more about your journey. So yeah. that was 2010. So you said, I'm going to write the song that will let me quit my job. Were you able to quit your job after that? Or did you wait until you released and got the pub deal? Now I continued. No, no, I didn't. I didn't quit my job until um, I got my first deposit from my publishing deal. Which and how long does that take? Oof. Um, well, and the reason, the reason I ask is I think so many people don't understand how songwriters get paid, right? It's really yeah. the only job you go to work every single day for free and just hope the song gets used, just hope. And, you know, you don't know if it's going to be a year and a half, three years, five years, whatever. It's, it's absolutely ludicrous. And one of the other reasons I wanted to talk to you today is I want to talk about Sona and the important work that's being done because there's got to be a way we can change some of these things. So when you when you said you waited till you got your first deposit, how long did that like roughly? I mean, because you got a publishing deal, did you have like any sort of a retainer where it was promised or did you have to wait until the song had done something and money was coming in? Well, I got an advance. Um, I got an advance when I signed my deal. Not a lot of money, but it was enough for me to not sell shoes for a few months. And I still continued my job as a wedding band singer. So I was still singing on the weekends and I still had like gigs booked up until like a year still coming up of weddings. Um, I only ended up quitting the wedding band because like a year later when things started finally taking off, like I found myself having to fly back to do a wedding band gigs and that was starting to cost me money. So I, that's kind of when I started quitting, um, when I quit the wedding band stuff, but yeah, it's, it's, I can't remember exactly the timeline, but from when I wrote the song to when I actually got any money in my pocket from a deal was at least a year and a half, probably. Um, and it, and it was a modest amount of money, but I was making so little money. I mean, I was making like $17 an hour or something like that at the shoe store, you know? And so I, I didn't need that much to top what I was making. Um, I was just really happy to quit selling shoes. Yeah. I love too that you were putting so much work in and you had that foundation. There's that old cliche that if you um, need something done, ask a busy person, right? Because I think that like whether you're a songwriter or if you want to write your memoir or do anything creative, if you just have the whole day to do it, it can seem intimidating. But if you put something into a deadline or a sprint, or you know you only have your hours after your job, I don't know, does it does it force you to activate more? Definitely, and I, I completely agree with that. Um, I always ask a busy person to do something like, and I actually argue with people all the time. They're like, oh, we can't ask this person because they're busy. I'm like, no, that's why we should ask that person because they're gonna do it. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't have much time. I, I got to be honest, like when I was going to, when I was striving to get, write something so I could quit my job, I was living a pretty um, dangerous life as far as health wise, because the amount of hours I had to put in were um, 
not safe. So like I was working a full-time job and I was in a wedding band. I was in my own band. And then I was writing, like I'd get out of work at 8.30 and start writing at like 10.30 at night to like 4.30 in the morning and then do it again. So I was severely underweight, um, definitely not by choice, but I couldn't eat. I didn't have enough time to eat enough food to be nourished. And then in my job, anytime anyone would ask me for a shoe, I'd have to go up and down a flight of stairs. So I was like, like 20 pounds, no more than probably 25 pounds lower than I am right now, which is, is very dangerous. Like people, my boss came up to me one day was like, you look really unhealthy. Are you okay? And I was like, I don't know. And then I actually got physically really sick. Like my legs stopped, like felt like they didn't work anymore for a while. Like I was, I was just doing really poorly. Um, so my mom was like, I think you should stop because you're, you're not, you know, it's, I, but then I was like, you know, do or die mom. So yeah, but I think that's an important thing to reflect on and be honest about too, right? That things can get really scary because you were in New York and you were battling those physical challenges. And, you know, you said running through the Bronx and up and down the stairs at the shoe spot, not having time to eat. I mean, I grew up on the West Coast and when we were in college or our early 20s and thought we were invincible, people would work an overnight shift and then get up to go to school and then go work on whatever they're passionate about. And, you know, I had one friend that fell asleep at the wheel and died in a car accident. So wow. I think it's important to acknowledge that you know there's an art to hustle but you have to be mindful of your physical health your mental health because um do you think that when you got those things a little more in balance that's when things started to come together um i you know once once i was able to quit my job then i definitely I, I didn't, the thing is I didn't stop working hard. So I, I, I just worked only on music after that. Um, but I was able to like not walk up and down 50,000 flights of stairs a day. Uh, my, my level and understanding of work balance was still very off for a very long time. I thought I had to work seven days a week, 12 hours a day, you know, only make music. There's no New York hustle. Got to go, 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 go. And it took me honestly only until like three, four years ago to realize that ain't it. Yes. <laughs> it just ain't it. And that's when I started slowing down and started being way more intentional about my time and the projects I take on. I couldn't understand, oh, you should, you only need to work you, you could possibly only write one day a week and that could be enough. You know, I thought I had so? to write. You think so? Yes. Now I know that is true. That's so interesting. Once I remember talking to somebody about songwriting and maybe this was for somebody starting out, but this always really stuck with me. They said, if you're a songwriter, you should write songs every single day. Because if you were working at Wells Fargo, you would count money every single day. If you were a mechanic, you'd be like working on cars every single day. So if you're a songwriter, you should write every single day. But you're saying not so much. Absolutely not. I think when you're starting out and learning to write songs, that definitely applies because you're still learning and training your muscles and 
figuring out what kind of writer you are, you're finding your voice as a writer. There's so many intricacies to being a good songwriter that take those 10,000 plus hours. That is very true. But if, but once you kind of know who you are and you found all those things to do it every single day actually dilutes my work. And um, if I just write less, but when I do write, I really have something to say. And I'm all my energy has like been saved up into this song. I'm learning that the, the work quality is so much higher. And, and the, the odds that that song actually does something is like 30 times higher, like then as opposed to when I used to write every day, when I used to write every day, those are my least successful years. When you also like people need to do like some basic math of like, in like the ratio of how much you work to how to productivity of what comes out. Mm-hmm. It's very low for most songwriters, you know, writing seven days a week, uh, you know, and writing, let's say 28 songs a month, yet one comes out is not, are not good odds. And then it comes out and does what? Is it just a, a new music Friday thing? Like, what does it do? You know, so it's kind of like, what are our end goals? Um, I like to even start some of my sessions, like what is the intention behind this song? What do you, what do you see? What do you want for this song? You know, and like, let's just put it out there. Like, where do we, what's your, what's your highest hope for this song? Like then, okay, let's put that energy in the room and go for that. So a lot of times people don't even know. I want to hear how you walk into songwriting sessions. I remember, you know, it's funny, uh, you were talking about your job 20 years ago. I moved to LA 20 years ago this November. And right when I moved to LA and I was working at Kiss FM, it was the peak of like young female rock, right? Avril, the first record I added at Kiss FM was Avril Lavigne, I'm with you. Uh, Michelle Branch, Vanessa Carlton, and then even like the Hillary Duffs of the world. So the producer, John Shanks, he was it. And uh, I remember meeting him and asking him, what's it like co-writing songs with young girls? Do you like go into a room and say, so do you like any boys? And I remember him looking at me and just saying, you know, it can be like a bad blind date. (laughs) Um, How do you set yourself up for sessions? And are you at your point in your career where you just are picking the people you want to work with every single day? Or do you still get set up on those blind dates? Um, I stopped taking a lot of blind dates, maybe around 2017, 2018. Um, just because I felt like most of them weren't amounting to anything. Um, I don't do a ton of co-writes with other writers. Uh, They have to kind of be like, they have to just make sense energetically and style-wise. I love storytelling. So I love writing with other writers who are storytellers. I don't do well if someone is kind of more just like a melody or a vibe. I'm like, what is, what's the title? What's the story? Where, where are we going? Let's point, point out, like, I want to know, I want to visually see everything. And those are the type of writers I write best with. Um, so I'm very hands-on with things like my whole career. I've, I'm just the type of person that I go up to artists in the street. I DM, I met John Batiste through Instagram. I DM'd him. 
Um, Corinne Bailey Ray, I met her because I just saw her standing there at, at, uh, at an award show and I was like, man, I gotta just go up to this, to this girl. I just love her music so much. And you know, that was 10 years ago, we're still working together and friends. Um, so it's very, a lot of my stuff is very organic. You know, it's very, um, it's very pure. I only like to approach artists that I feel like I can add value to. So just because somebody is a big star or has a great song, if I don't feel like I have anything to offer them, I'm not going to off like put myself out there like, oh, we should write together because I don't want to ever come from a selfish place where it's something just to benefit myself. I want to come from a place where I have something to add and I feel like I can, I can help you tell a story you haven't told yet. So um, with that said, I don't go up, I don't do a ton of sessions because it's like, I have to have that feeling like, oh, I have this feeling about you that like, we're this. So um, whenever that feeling kind of comes around, I just go for it. And it is cringy sometimes. And I, and it is embarrassing because like these people don't know me, you know, and <laughs> I'm like, oh, what if they say no, you know? You just kind of go for it. You know what I did recently? Um, I, this is really nerdy. I was um, doing a deep dive on the tech side and I was fascinated by the conversation about AI and consciousness. And I don't know if you remember about a month or two ago, there was a national news story about the Google engineer that claimed the AI had become sentient and developed consciousness and he got fired. <laughs> wow. I was listening to all these podcasts about him and I became so curious. I just went in for the DMs. <laughs> How was it? I got to interview him. <laughs> oh, wow. I want to listen to that. Oh, yeah. It's coming. It's a two-parter. <laughs> oh, yes, girl. But I mean, really, why not? You just have to go for it. Like, one of the things that I really love is it's very easy to say, like, Oh, in 2022, I don't like this. I don't like how the music industry is. I don't like how people are getting paid, the frustrations. But there also can be a real beauty about how we're all connected. And there is this element of really, I think anything is possible. And so we have to go back to that first song you wrote that you knew was gonna help you quit your job. Uh, it was recorded by Alexis Jordan, it was happiness. Now on the other side of the country, here I was sitting in with Kiss FM and me personally, you know, every single week record labels would come in with stacks and stacks and stacks of records. And it's funny, I don't know if it's from a genre standpoint fair to compare it but like right now the sound is really fresh with beyonce or drake doing like those house records when that song came out it sounded fresh it had a different texture and even though at the time maybe britney spears or black eyed peas or i don't know if gaga was out yet was doing dance this had it wasn't just like a dance record like a party record, this had a real like soul and club vibe to it. It was a true authentic record. And so 
I always loved it. It was it was a passion point of mine. I know we supported it, um, at least in the mix show, but it just never really in the US got off the ground. But then the story I told you was, and I'm probably gonna get fired from something for even saying this on a podcast. I mean, I'm not on it anymore, so they can fire me. But I was on the Grammy nomination committee and somebody, oh, I don't, I feel, I'm such a rule follower. I feel like I can't tell this story, but it's been over a decade. There was a conversation about what purely belonged in dance and what was pop records and all those Britney and again, you know, uh, you know, the Gaga records were getting kicked over to pop. So the dance committee that their sound like true dance records could win. And I went to bat for Alexis Jordan happiness. And uh, I'll never forget that they played it for the room. And people don't know those nominations committees are like United Nations meeting, uh, meetings. Mm -hmm. Like you're in a ballroom, there's giant tables, everybody's got their own microphone with their little placard. And they played and I contested it and they played the song. And they played like the first minute of it and then they stopped it right when it like the song breathed and it like went into those amazing dance beats and i was like no no, no, no wait you you stopped it too soon this is an intentional dance record they were just about to go into like 45 seconds of beats and then somebody said it's best dance vocal sweetie and they called me sweetie and then the entire room turned into Jerry Springer. All these women stood up and like fought for my honor and like, you know, it was it was pretty funny. But anyways, enough about me. Wow. Amazing. Wow. It was your song that you knew uh, was going to get you to quit your job. It came out. It had it had more success internationally than in America, right? Definitely. Um yeah, this song, it, it came out number three in the UK. And thank you so much, Julie, for fighting for that song. I mean, I had no idea anybody would have ever done that. So thank you so and much. And how funny, how funny that I have the receipts. You saw somebody just surfaced a mixtape that I made them a decade ago. And that was on it. I was like, this is the song of the summer. <laughs> Love but, receipt. But anyways, how amazing in 2022 that somehow magically it can come back to life. I mean, God bless Kate Bush. <laughs> God bless TikTok because I mean like do we do you even know how it started? Kind of. So there are these there's this a radio show in Australia which is like a, a very popular show. I think it's the number one show in Australia. Um and these these hosts, they they're hilarious. I just, I like started following them after this. So basically they posted a clip of it on TikTok and they were just kind of singing along to it. And I think it's Kyle and, and Jackie O, I believe, or Jackie. And, um, and they posted this a year ago though, which is still confusing to me. And somehow that little clip of the song they played a year later started going viral. I don't know who started the trend of things people say, you know, to be the thing, but it's been such a crazy year for me of, I don't know spiritually what's happened. And I believe in the universe and all kinds of things, but like, it felt like so many seeds that were planted by a lot of people came to life this year in, in different ways. And a lot of underdogs 
um, were got a moment, you know, and I'm a super duper underdog and happiness was not like a trivial pop song. Like I put my whole soul into happiness when I wrote that song. Like I had a lot writing on that song. Um, my, you know, when I wrote that song, I was reading Eckhart Tolle, uh, A New Earth. Mm. And I went through this whole spiritual kind of like awakening and became very present and started seeing the world completely differently and understanding things differently. Um, the song is written from a true story. It's, it was about a relationship I was in at the time. And, you know, through strength, I found love in time I found myself and happiness with you. It's really a, a song about self-love. And it was a song that I needed to hear from myself for things I needed to learn and I needed to overcome that I just now fully get 12 years later, right? So like through therapy, through all kinds of things, I finally am in the place where I can say those words truly and everything that I've planted has really come to life. So I don't really know how things work, but there is something really cosmically special that that song came back to life with what's happening with the trend of people also claiming their power and owning things people said to them and 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 just being in their own right you know because that is really what it is about so i don't i don't know what's happened but it's right it's really special you know at our house we have a little butterfly garden and i could watch it all day because you know you see a little butterfly egg on a leaf and you can take it inside until the caterpillar's big enough to go into the butterfly tent and then they go and they like eat a ton of milkweed and they become big fat caterpillars and then go into these cocoons and as many times i see as i see it it is so miraculous to see a monarch butterfly pop out and fly away but it really it really does take time it takes time. It really does take time. And, you know, when I started when I was so young and it's interesting how you're so young and feel so old, right? Like when I felt, I felt oldest when I was like 23 in my life, I felt like, oh, I'm getting old. The industry wants you to think you're old, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, I, I didn't realize how young I was and I feel more youthful now. I feel more, um, more in touch now. I feel more confident now. You know, there was, there's so much, there's so much to learn and to grow from and, and to not fear, you know, there's so much when, for me personally, like, I feel like a lot of people put fear on women on getting older, you know, like, oh, lie about your age, or you got to do this, you got to do that. It's completely just BS. Like there's no time limit on when things can happen for you. There's no time cut off on, on your brain being creative. There's no, none of this is real. I remember someone told me once like, oh, um, you people can't write good songs after 28 years old. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, <laughs> you know, there's just so many crazy things people say to you. And it's just, it's just all the matrix. And kind of, I felt like once I realized, released all of those things, um, they all disappeared. I'll never forget. We have a really good mutual friend, Dina Lapolt. Dina. 
And uh, I had a friend who was in her 40s that was thinking about a career change and thinking about going back to school because she wanted to be a lawyer. And we were all sitting around and um, and she said, I don't know, by the time I go back to school and finish this while I'll be working, I'll be 50 before I become a lawyer. And Dina leaned across the table and she said, you're going to be 50 either way. Wouldn't you rather be 50 and be a lawyer? <laughs> Yes, exactly. You're going to be 50 either way. I love that. I love Dina. Yeah, it's so true. Like, it's going to happen either way. God willing, right? So you might as well just live your potential, whatever that is. Well, you know, I'm really inspired by you, Autumn. I'm inspired by, I don't know, this patience, this confidence, but also not just sitting back and trusting the process, but making the process work for you. I mean, uh, I mentioned, we talked a little bit about how songwriters get paid and how they go to work and how things all, aren't always easy, but you're not just accepting this. You're part of a collective powerhouse group of individuals with a lot of strong women. Um, talk a little bit about the important work that's going on with Sona and what you want people to know and how people might be able to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a board member of SONA and SONA stands for Songwriters of North America. And we are basically an advocacy group who fight for the rights of songwriters to get paid fairly. Um, and we do that by working to get laws changed. Um, we meet with Congress, congressmen and uh, senators and we go, you know, we go lobbying and we go all kinds of things. And, and we are very active in the community. We, we help to get uh, bills passed. And we also engage very much with the songwriter community. Um, we give away grants to songwriters who are affected by um, different, like COVID, for example, we gave away over $500,000 in grants to songwriters who were affected by COVID. And this is a big, big passion of mine. As songwriters, we're not allowed to unionize. Um, we don't have any real protections as songwriters. So no one is looking after us solely. Um, so we are very much self-employed free agents out here trying to make a living, a living in an industry that is not designed for you to know what you're doing. So um, <laughs> even now, as long as I've been doing this, I'm still having a super hard time figuring out how to collect money from from different territories, how to collect money from neighboring rights, how to do this, how to do that. And, and it's people on the highest levels who have written the biggest songs in the world have the same questions. And we're all, there's no, there's no like real handbook for you to completely understand all these things and technology is constantly changing. So we're trying to make it a little bit uh, fairer and we are the group that fights for that. So if you're interested, you can go to wearesona.com. Um, go to our Instagram or you, you can follow me and I have links on my link tree and yeah, definitely support us. Um, if you want to donate, come to an event, anything, it's super duper helpful. We are all run by songwriters. This is an organization that's a vol mostly volunteer based. Um, we have like maybe two employees and I literally spend like 60% of my year during COVID, it was like 80% of my time or more just working on advocacy. So um, yeah, we need all the help we can get. 
I think that's really important, and uh, I I love getting to, to know everybody at Sona. I always feel like I like supporting them, but I'm not a songwriter, so I don't know how deep I should get in with the gang. But I love <laughs> I love your I love your whole crew, and you mentioned advocacy. And we started out talking about you winning a Grammy. I think it's always important for people to know that whether you're a professional or an artist, how important it is to get involved in the Recording Academy too, right? Whether you agree with the nominations or how they picked, it's like this really is such a sacred ceremony for our business and the creators are coming together to vote and it's so important to show up. Um, uh, and clearly you're a member of the Recording Academy. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And as a member, there's different things you can get involved with, like advocacy, but, but things do change. People don't always want to admit it. Things do change. And like for this year, this is the first year they're going to actually have a songwriter of the year category, right? It is. It is very exciting to be, have songwriter of the year. Whoever wins, I'm so happy for them. Um, just to see that, hopefully that, that award is televised. Um, just, just for the world to know that a songwriter is a real job. I know that sounds so silly, but a lot of people don't know it's a real job. A lot of people think when you say you're a songwriter, they think, oh, is that a ghostwriter? They're like, but how do you make money? Like a lot of people don't know it's a real job. And I think that there's a massive, it, there's a massive connection between when something is not visible and not getting paid fairly for it. I think it's really easy to not pay people you can't see. And mm -hmm. I like a big part of what I, I don't even like being on social media, honestly. Like I don't, like, like I said, we talked about earlier, like I'm super happy just staying home in my basement, but you know, I think that's not good for, for us as a, as a profession. So kind of a lot of stuff I do to be visible is really just to empower the whole community and like, Hey, we're here, we're here, we're here. Like, look at us, look at us. Um, it's just because I want the visibility for everyone to notice that we are real people and what we do is important and it matters and we deserve recognition and we deserve to get paid. Um, the Academy, you know, I did Grammys on the Hill this year in mm. DC, which was really super exciting. Um, I'd never been to cap the Capitol and I got to meet with different members of Congress and talk about our issues and talk about my personal experiences. And, you know, politics are very discouraging for most of us. But I have to say, actually sitting down with people changed my mind on a lot of it. And I, and I really felt like, and I do feel like there are people in there who really do care about us as creatives. And I know that for sure. And um, I, I see the bills that they're writing. And, and when you talk to them, the level that they understand what's going on when they, when they are explaining it back to me, <laughs> what I do, that's when I know oh, this is real. Like you really are on our side. And I felt so good just to know that we are, we do have people in our government that do care about us. So it's all real and it's, and it's easy to complain, but it's harder to, to do something about it. So it's like, everyone's frustrated with all kinds of things, but like, we have to get involved, you know, the same way with the government. We're not, you're not happy with this, but did you vote? You're not happy with certain things in the industry, but did you vote? Did you sign up? Was your voice heard? What committees are you on? Blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing. So, you know, people have to get involved if they want to see changes. 
Well, yeah, it's hilarious. I don't know if this was the best interview or the worst from my part, because I really love so many of the stories you told me and how much stuff we dug into. But I think I never let you finish the very first question I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> About tell us your background. So I think just as we wrap up after you drop so many gems, what do you want people to know about Autumn Row? I want you to know that I come from the South Bronx. I had nothing handed to me. Um, I grew up in the projects, raised by a single mom. I don't. I didn't know anyone in the industry. All I had was a dream, and that dream became a reality. Not because I'm the most talented person. Not because I'm good at anything. It became a reality because I didn't give up, and that's it. Um, if you want to do this, if you want to do anything, don't give up. Don't listen to anyone who says. Oh, you, you're getting old or you're a woman or you're gay or you're this, you're that, or you come from here, or I don't like your music, whatever it is. It doesn't matter if this is what you want to do, do it, but make sure you want to do it for the right reason. Make sure you want to do this because you feel like this is your calling in life. This is the only thing you can do. When I wake up in the morning, all I want to do is music still. Like I love music so much. I just feel this connection to music. Like this is why I'm alive and that's why I do it. So if you feel that, just keep going, keep going, keep going. That's what will get you through it. And stay, stay connected to the source of why you do this and ignore all the distractions that pull you away from that. Um, that's all you need to know about me. Everything I'm doing is because of that. It will all make sense. <laughs> and that's it. Ta -da -da. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, uh, vote for Autumn Row. Uh, whether it's Songwriter of the Year this no. year with the Recording Academy, whether you know you take a little more Grammy on the hill to your hill, <laughs> crazier things have happened. Um, I love it. And how about if somebody wants to dig in and get like um, into your song book, what would be the top three songs you would want somebody to know to fully understand, like to get a palette for your work? Um, I'd say listen to Sing by John Batiste. That's one, it's, it's not a popular song, but it's a song that is very um, honest. And I feel like it's, it's, it's a song from the heart. Um, listen to Happiness by Alexis Jordan. And what's another good one to listen to? Um, I would listen to Diana Ross, I still believe, because Diana, Michael Jackson, I would not be here without the influence of Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder. And Diana Ross was Michael's influence. So I have to pull everything back to Diana Ross in so many ways. So to work with her, you know, um, in 2020 was a real full circle moment for me. And I don't know, it just made a lot of sense. So yeah, I would listen to those three songs. Dope. Thanks so much for hanging out. Thank you for having me. You're amazing. So thank you. Well, likewise. And we got to give a shout out to Norway. Shout out to Norway. <laughs> I mean, how many times does Norway get shout outs? I'm Norwegian. You're down with Norwegians, you know? <laughs> shout out to Norway. Absolutely. All the time.
Thanks so much for listening to the Idea Fountain. Once again, I'm Julie Pilot, and I really appreciate it when we stay connected. Hit me up anytime. I'd love to hear uh, what your takeaways were from this episode. That could be on social media, sending an email, or writing a podcast review. And I also invite you to sign up for my newsletter at juliepilot.co. Coming up on the next episode of the Idea Fountain, we'll talk with artist, producer, DJ, and quick tip creator, Morgan Page. I'll see you soon. Thanks again for listening.